Raina Simnagar is the author of Persian Food from the Non-Persian Bride. Her popular Sephardic recipes can also be found on jamiegeller.com, chabad.org, and other places. She's also a model and actress, but somehow she balances her busy professional life with married life and raising five boys. Her journey to Judaism begins 500 years ago, when her family fled the Spanish Inquisition. I have raised my kids to always feel very proud that their mother is a convert, especially because of where I'm coming from in terms of my conversion journey, which is trying to rescue what the Inquisition tried to do with my family. Coming right up, Raina Simnagar's family history and her unlikely quest for Torah Judaism. Raina, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having me, Jeff. So is this really true? You are able to get all the way back to the Spanish Inquisition to trace your ancestry? It is true. It's crazy in my mind. It is insane that I can do that, but there are just amazing amount of records and I'm still doing it. I'm still, because there's so many tangents in the family tree, two sets of grandparents and then those grandparents are grandparents. So there's so many ramifications that uh, it takes a long time to track back, but it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. And I have someone in Spain that does this work for me, as well as someone in Venezuela that they track down the records and they go and they literally hunt down old books full of dust. They dust them off and they, it's just fascinating. I love it. I wish I could do this, honestly, all the time. It's amazing. So what are some of the things you learned about your family history and the, and the struggles they had in Spain and, and coming over to Venezuela? What are, what are some of the things you learned about way back then? So I learned that, honestly, everybody just wanted the same things. They just wanted to live a happy, easy life. And they, they, what they struggle with is not keeping Judaism, not able to eat the foods that they wanted to eat, not able to do the things they wanted to do, simple things like keeping Shabbat, simple things like fasting on Yom Kippur, and also learning that even in the most intimate settings in their life, they had people watching over them, like their help, for example. And there's actually a fascinating cookbook called The Drizzle of Honey. It's a cookbook and it, it's incredible because when they went back to um, all the things that the Inquisition and like all the trials and all that stuff, they realized that a lot of the help that they had in their homes were watching, working for the Inquisition. And um, they realized when they were doing things that were not usual, like for example, they were frying meat and olive oil, they were not using lard, they were cooking, you know, having like a cholent, like a stew that sits, you know, through Friday through Saturday. So they realized these people are still living like Jews and then they would, you know, give them away to the Inquisition, depending on what they were eating. So even their help would give people away. So the Inquisition trials is, is basically a cookbook, a cookbook from the recipes that these people died for because they were daring to make these recipes. So it's all compiled together in a book called The Drizzle of Honey, which is medieval cooking. It's very difficult to cook from it, but it's just fascinating. So it's the same thing with my family. Like I'm 100% sure that they were in a boat bringing back with them a bunch of eggplants from Spain <laughs> because <laughs> that's just like fascinating. They even put eggplant in, in, in cake, in like cake. <laughs> that's not one of your recipes today, I imagine. No, <laughs> I don't put eggplant in cake, but I do love <laughs> eggplants. 
So wait, your, was your family ultimately forced out of Spain or they chose to go to Venezuela? How did they end up there? So there are Jews that were forced to go out of Spain and Jews that decided to stay in Spain because they didn't want to lose everything. Because what happened in 1492 when the Jews were expelled, the Inquisition said you either leave or you convert. So the Jews that were headstrong, they're like, we leave, we go. And that bunch of Jews left with their Barbanel and they went to other lands. They went to Italy. They went to you know, Europe, many of them, that's how you see sometimes people who are Ashkenazi Jews who are actually descendants of Converso Jews or descendants of Spanish Jews. And then some of them went to the Caribbean, some of them left. But the people that stayed are the Converso Jews. The people that stayed, like my family, are the ones that lived for hundreds of years in hiding. So then given that background, your great-great-great-grandparents now end up in Venezuela and they are practicing Jews or they have converted at this point or what do you know about that time period? So what I know is that they came to Venezuela they were already very very diluted into the Christian world you have to remember like they came to Venezuela in the 1600s so there's a couple of hundred of years of them not being already practicing Jews but they do keep certain things and that's what gives it away it's almost like a like just you just know because of the things that they do. And every time I talk to my cousins about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, our family does this, our family. Every time I find something different, they had no idea what it is. And I'm like, hello, it's so obvious. <laughs> but they had no idea. So what I know is that when they came to Venezuela, they were already not halachically Jewish, but they kept a lot of things already. And that's those were the clues that give away the fact that they were conversed Jews. What's an example of that? What's something that you see in the history that tells you, oh, there's the connection to Judaism? It sounds really crazy, but one of the things that my family does, I mean, I can tell you like five things just like off the bat, but one of, one of them is when they broom the rooms, they broom to the mm-hmm. middle of the room and then they pick up the garbage <laughs> and take it out. Isn't that crazy? Is that like, would you do that at home? No. But the thing is that conversion Jews used to do that because they didn't want to pass the garbage by the mezuzah. So they broomed towards the middle of the room. And no long ago, I was was speaking to my cousin who moved from Venezuela to Madrid. It's incredible, but many of my family have come back to Spain. Um, And she's like, oh my gosh, yeah, we do that all the time. I'm like, that's why. (laughs) She's like, what is a mezuzah? I'm like, I'll explain to you why you do this. And this is what a mezuzah is. She just had that costume. She didn't even know what a mezuzah is, you know? That's one example. You tell me how many examples you want me to give you, but I'm happy to. <laughs> that's that's a good enough one. Let's, yeah. let's keep going. So let's take us from the 1600s now all the way into your childhood. Given the struggles that you know from your ancestry, what was your childhood like from a religious standpoint? So I grew up in a very religious household. It's just a different religion. I grew up very Catholic, very Christian. I went to Catholic school my whole life. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I, I grew up with a lot of spirituality. I grew up with believing in one God. I grew up with praying every night. I think that that upbringing brought me to a point of discipline and a point of self-introspection and connection with God. So I'm extremely grateful for those years of you know, really teaching me what it's like to have a relationship with God, whatever it is that you want to call God. That was something that I always have to be grateful for. So I grew up surrounded by nuns. And I was myself a very spiritual person. And the nuns thought that I wanted to be a nun. 
because <laughs> I was I was into religion. I just like really liked spirituality. I wanted a connection. I wanted to. I was talk, I'm I'm still always talking to God all day long. But when you were a child, was there any discussion within your family about this Jewish background, or you just saw yourself as a non-Jew and it felt like perfectly normal to you? So, actually, there was not much discussion about it. All I know is that my father wasn't very religious. And then one time we were driving up to my grandfather's house and in our way, I see these people dressed in black with black hats coming out of a house. And I'm like, what is this? And my father is like, those are Jews. I'm like, Jews? I mean, like they're still around? And my dad's like, <laughs> yes. I was like, Jews as in Jesus Jews? He's like, yes, which bubble have you been? I'm like, the Christian bubble? <laughs> I don't know, the Catholic bubble? And he's like, yeah, they're still around. I was like, wow, that's perseverance. <laughs> I thought to myself, I was 12 and I was like, that's amazing. These people are still around. And I got to my grandfather's house. My aunt was there and I told my aunt, Sarah, Sarah, that's her, that was her name. I'm like, do you know there are like Jews around the corner? And she's like, yeah, of course there are Jews around the corner. We live in a Jewish community. I'm like, what's a Jewish community? What are you? Who are you people? So that is around 12 when I realized something was, I always knew something was off in my family, something very weird. I didn't know that which just made us, that weird thing made us Jews, <laughs> right. but in, in a way. But yeah, that's basically what happened. So at this point, you're learning some of these new things about the Jewish community around you and you're seeing Jewish people. Are you also taking steps now that you're exploring Judaism on a deeper level or you're just taking this information and is like, wow, this is good to know, but I'm not necessarily internalizing it or doing something with it yet? No, I, I took that information and I really took it to heart because there was something about being a Catholic that even though I loved the connection, there were a lot of questions that I had that they were never answered. And I was a very inquisitive child and inquisitive soul. And I wanted to know more. And you need to explain to me why and why and why and why. And these questions were discouraged, to be honest with you. They were discouraged. And sometimes I would get in trouble at school for asking too many questions. So I, when I found out that there, I have somehow some Jewish roots, something, I started learning about it. Why? Why do we do these things? What do we do? What is Inquisition? All that stuff. And then I realized there's a whole world out there of things that, that are just not known to me. And I immediately wanted to know more about Judaism. And I became almost like obsessed. And the, this is before, I'm going to date myself. This is before internet, before mm -hmm. cell phones. Okay, Jeff, I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was literally me going to the library and trying to find out what it is that a Jew is. Um, besides what I had learned from school, which was nothing. Nobody taught us about the Inquisition. Nobody taught us about the Holocaust. I never knew that this happened in Europe to Jews. How are you balancing at this point? You mentioned earlier surrounded by nuns, but at the same time you're in the library and you're starting to explore Judaism. How are you balancing these two perspectives as a 12, 13 year old? So I would just go to the library and believe it or not, my parents, my parents were super supportive and they were like, sure, we'll take you to a synagogue. Sure, we'll take you to the library. Sure, we'll find things for you because my father knew his family had been Jewish in the past and he was very supportive in that my mom's side of the family was a little bit different. And at school, I just every time we were asked to write a book about comparative religion or anything like that, I would just go and choose Judaism. So they didn't think much of it. They were like, oh, she's doing her homework. Oh, she's learning more about 
who Jesus used to be. So I didn't have any problem at all. No one was like, you shouldn't do this, you bad girl, you know? Everyone was like, oh, cool. That's nice. Interesting. So I didn't feel discouraged at all. Well, it sounds like they were viewing it as you learning about a subject like anything else you might learn about, not that it was the beginning of a journey that you were going to go on years later. The beginning of the end to them. <laughs> no, yeah, they definitely had no no idea that that was happening. So I understand in the same time period that you're exploring Judaism, you're starting to get into modeling and advertising. So what's going on at that point in your life, sort of career-wise, and some of these things that you're getting into? So in Venezuela, it's a country where we care a lot about aesthetics. It's just built into the country. We have a lot of beauty pageants and stuff like that. Even in the Catholic school, there were beauty pageants. And we're only girls. Like it's just like a very focused on exteriority and externality. And I went along with it because that's what everybody did. Everybody went to finishing school. Everybody went to modeling school. Everybody, literally, this is what you do in Venezuela. If you have a little bit of anything that they think is potential, boom, they put you through it. So I started doing modeling and I started doing advertisements and ads and commercials, TV commercials and print. And that honestly didn't have, I didn't see it as a discrepancy with me searching for Judaism because I was still very much in like the surface level of what it is to be a Jew. So that's where it took me. But yeah, I started doing all of that and I started venturing in the beauty pageant world. So you're still in Venezuela at this point, or does modeling ultimately take you to the United States? Was that your ticket to the United States, or it's, it's unconnected to the modeling that you were doing? So no, it didn't take me to the United States. The funny thing is I'm doing modeling right now again, but no, not at all. That was just basically my way of just making a little bit of money in Venezuela because there's really good money in modeling. There's really no money in beauty pageants, but there is money in modeling, and beauty pageants get you gigs into modeling. Well, so at, at this point, you're in Venezuela, you're thinking this is going to be my career because it seems to be going well and you're thinking you're going to stay settled there or you have, have other plans? Definitely not. I don't think that my parents would ever allow me to have a career in modeling or beauty pageant making at all. Like, I don't see, no, my parents are very much strict of like, like almost like Jewish parents were like, you need a plan <laughs> B, you need a career. This is what you do. And even though I was in, in like, trying to be in the beauty pageant with Miss Venezuela and all that. And I met a lot of people in that world. No, my parents were like, this is what you're going to do. And then I was going to study chemical engineering. And that's what I did. I went right after high school. I went to school for chemical engineering for one year. And then I realized I wasn't my calling. So I decided to go to the United States, mostly because honestly, a lot of the books were in English and I wanted my English to get better. So I told my parents, I need to go spend time in the United States to learn better English, to read these books better, to understand better. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> you just didn't say that last part. No, I never told them that. They kind of knew. Also, what happened is at school, I went to a very, very Jewish school in Venezuela. A lot of Jews happened to be there. And I started making a lot of Jewish friends which is how I ended up being able to go to synagogue because it's very hard to go into a synagogue in Venezuela. It's very strict who they live in because of security. So with that said, a lot of them, I already had told a lot of them that I wanted to be a Jew. I wanted to be a full-fledged Jew. At that time, I was around already, I was 18. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 16, that's when I already knew I'm becoming a Jew. That's it. I'm converting to Judaism. And I can tell a little bit more about that in a sec. But basically, I knew that in America, I could become Jewish much easier than in Venezuela. Or so they told me. Because in Venezuela, you only have, or at the time, you only have Orthodox Judaism. And they're like, this is going to be very hard for you. It's very difficult. You have no idea. But if you go to America, they throw you in a pool and you're Jewish. (laughs) It's very simple in America. You just become Jewish very easily. And I was like, okay, I think I like it easy. So I'll go to America and find out. Wait, but were you thinking... You said you were, say, 16 around that time frame that you said, I want to become a Jew, but you weren't thinking about levels of observance. It was more just being able to call yourself a Jew or you knew about some of these levels and you were thinking, well, where do I want to be on this continuum of a non-religious Jew to a fully absorbent Jew? That's a very good question, Jeff, because at the time I didn't know there were like different levels of, of how to be observant in a Jewish way. I had no idea about reform, conservative, orthodox. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that this is Judaism. And all I knew at the time was orthodox Judaism. In fact, when I went to synagogue in Venezuela, the one time I went to synagogue in Venezuela, we went with a group of friends from college and the boys went one way and the girls went one way. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, you know, we pray separately. I'm like, what? I was completely blown away because I'm like, well, when I go to church, we pray together. Like we don't sit separately. And you would have thought that that bothered me. But the truth is that when I went to church, I didn't have a spiritual connection because I just wanted to look pretty for the guy that was sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be pious and cute. Am I like do- looking like pious enough? You know, and like... All I wanted to do was that. I wasn't really focused on prayer. But when I went to synagogue that one time in Venezuela, that was the only thing I knew. I cried and my makeup got messed up. I sat there. My stomach was, you know, like I wasn't like thinking I'm in my postures. But no, I was just really connecting with God. And I loved it. I loved that the guy's pressure wasn't there. That it was just the girls. And I could just feel like I was almost like, my soul was naked and I didn't have an embarrassment or anything that was distracting me from what I was there to do. I'm glad you're saying this because when I was first becoming observant, my mother said, the one thing I really don't like is that the men and women are separated. And she was coming from a standpoint of gender equality and saying, you know, whatever's good enough for the men is good enough for the women. You should be together. It should be family time. And I told her, of course, I understand that perspective. But I find it so much easier to focus on the davening when I'm with the guys and I know why I'm there and what I'm supposed to be doing instead of being distracted. And that we can have family time after the praying is over. But I didn't understand that at the beginning of the journey, but I see it pretty clearly now. I see how when it comes down to gender equality, women would have that stance. I do. But honestly, that did not even cross my mind because I am completely fine with my role as a woman and I'm very very happy and fulfilled as a woman so I never had a need to feel like a man or anything else I'm like and gender equality is not really an issue in Latin American countries I don't know why like in America it's a very very big concept in my country it was just it's just like you know okay you're a woman 
you're proud of being a mother, you're proud of being this and that. And yes, you can do whatever you want. I went to school for chemical engineering. No one told me I couldn't because I was a woman. I don't know. I could do it all and I was okay. So my guest today is Raina Simnagar, and you were just mentioning that you ultimately came to the United States to study. So what, what school were you in and wh- where were you? I went to UCLA to study interior design. Well, first I did English as a second language. Like I told you, I came here to study English. I was supposed to go back to study chemical engineering, finish my degree. But then I was like, I'm not going back to Venezuela. I just, I know something is going to go south in this country. I felt my parents too. So I was like, I think I'm going to stay in America. And I wanted something a little more creative. So I went to school for interior design in UCLA. And so your parents were supportive of you staying at that point. I know you mentioned earlier that you didn't tell them necessarily you were planning to stay. So now you're kind of unveiling this idea. You know what? I might make a life of it here. They were supportive. They were because my parents are really cool. <laughs> and they're like, that makes you happy, honey. Okay, fine. We'll support you. We'll... And they made huge sacrifices for me to be able to go to school here because like, as you can imagine, it's very expensive. So they really did so much for me to be able to come to school in this country and and to be here. They knew something was not going to go right in Venezuela in terms of politics. Um, things were already heading south. So they're like, you know, we're, think, we think we're going to be safer and better in America. And they were so right. Wow. So is it while you're studying interior design or after that your your future husband comes into the picture? It was while I was studying interior design. So tell me the story of how, how you met. So I was, I was only allowed to have a job on campus in UCLA as a foreigner, as an international student. And I figured, you know, I want to speak a little more Spanish. So I got a job on Taco Bell because Taco Bell <laughs> is full of Latinos and they're all students. And, you know, I, I am not Mexican, but I certainly enjoy a burrito. So I'm like, okay, fine. Tacos, burritos. Hey, guacamole. Who doesn't like guacamole? So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I was actually at the cashier one fateful day and there was like tons of people coming in. It was lunchtime and this guy comes along and asks for two bean burritos without cheese. And I'm like, who doesn't like cheese? (laughs) Why? I was like, okay, whatever. So I had to stop the whole burrito line for one picky customer because it happens really fast. It's called Taco Bell Express on campus. So that he doesn't like cheese. I'm like, this is so annoying. So I was annoyed. The guys were annoyed. Everyone was annoyed. So I'm like, whatever. Okay, here are you bean burritos. I go on my break. And alas, one of his bean burritos had cheese. Uh-oh. Has Shalom, God forbid, right? <laughs> so he comes back to complain. And again, I'm on my break. So he goes to my manager. This girl planted cheese in my burrito. And my manager is like, dude, because we're all 18, 19, 20, right? dude that girl wasn't the cashier she's not allowed to handle food what do you want (laughs) so he's like okay fine so he wrote in a napkin which i still have he wrote i'd like to get to know you better my name is sammy give me a call so i come back from my break and my manager who was like 20 and i was 18 she's like oh my gosh this guy left you a note and i'm like really was he cute and she's like not at all I was like, oh, Uh-oh. shame. I was like, I always, this always happens. So I take the notes and I put it in my apron and I go home that night. And I lived with my cousin at the time who was 25. And I, she's like, how was your day? And I was like, oh, it was good. Blah, blah. And this guy left me a note. 
And she's like, oh, we'll call him. I'm like, I'm going to call him. Like, are you crazy? He could be a sociopath. I have no idea who's, who's he. She's like, call him. You need friends. I'm like, I don't think he wants to be a friend. Right. She's like, just call him. Let's prank him. Let's just prank him. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll call him. So I called and his mother answered the phone. And I'm like, what is this? And I hear this weird accent. I'm like, who are these people? <gasps> what is this? So... I, had, I didn't have a heart to prank an adult woman. So I said, okay, can I speak to Sammy? And she's like, yes, here it is. And then that was him. That was the guy. So from that conversation led to a first date or what happened after that? Yeah, so we spoke for two weeks because I was still very scared of going out with someone who had no clue who he was. And then he took me out on a date. He reached in his car, he reached to, I think, to the air conditioning and from this shirt, I saw a high slid out. And I was like, this is so confusing. Are you Jewish? And he's like, how do you know? I'm like, I see a high. At the time, I already, again, at the time I was 18, I had been already studying Judaism for two years. I already started, you know, tried to begin a conversion in Venezuela, which wasn't, didn't go well because of all the restrictions. And I wasn't 18 yet at the time. So I already knew how to read and write Hebrew. And I taught myself to do it. So I'm like, I know what a chai is. Are you Jewish? I'm like, aren't you an Arab? And he's like, excuse me, I am Persian. <laughs> Persians are not Arabs. How dare you? I'm like, oh, stop now. Okay, fine. Venezuelans are now Mexicans. So <laughs> let's just come to terms here. I had no idea. I don't know. So he's like, okay, fine. He's like, where, you're Jewish? And I said, well, it's complicated. How much time do you have? Yes, <laughs> kind of. And that's how I started. So is he at that point, he's a secular Jew or how would he describe himself? He would say that he's a non-practicing Orthodox Jew. Oh, what does that mean? That means that he's basically a Sephardic Jew. <laughs> 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 which means that he's traditional, which means that he will go home Fridays, have Kiddush, Hamotzi and Shabbat dinner and then go clubbing. But the, the cheese thing, going back to the Taco Bell story, he did believe in not mixing milk and meat, or he just didn't like cheese? Actually, it's because he's lactose intolerant, like many Jews. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it had nothing to do with kashrut. He didn't eat meat out, but he was asking for bean burritos, which have no meat. So the relationship is starting to get more serious. Are you starting to have discussions about religion as you're starting to get more serious with each other and, and kind of what life you want to have together? No. Actually, so I was, I had an, I had an agenda. I'll be honest with you. My agenda was becoming a Jew since I was 16, since I was 12, I already felt it when I, and when I was 16 and actually I was in a movie theater watching Schindler's List, which was the first time I ever, ever learned about the Holocaust. I never, ever knew that Jews went through that. When I came out of the theater, I was crying and I knew I needed to become a Jew. I couldn't allow for that Holocaust that happened to my family continue to happen. I'm like, I need to become a Jew. That's it. So I had this agenda and I told him right away. He's like, how do you know so much about Judaism? I'm like, listen, I, start, I tried to become a Jew in Venezuela. I wasn't 18 yet. You're not really supposed to go through an Orthodox conversion until you're after 18 years old because this is binding. It's a real thing. This is not a joke. This is not a game. This is not because I like bagels and locks. This is how I want to live my life. 
Um, and I said to him, this is what I'm trying to do. This is where I'm headed. You're either with me or you're not. So you choose. So he's like, okay, um, I'm not really going to do any of that stuff. I'm like, okay, fine. Good luck. I mean, not a problem. So this is what I'm doing and this is who I am. So at the time, though, I didn't know about the different Orthodox, Reform, Conservative. And at the time, I was living in Venice across a synagogue that was a conservative synagogue. And I really was confused as to what was going on because it was not like what I had seen in Venezuela. So in Venezuela, we sat separately. The prayers were different. I went to this synagogue. It wasn't a conservative. It was like a between conservative and reform. It's hard because this is more than 25 years ago. So even the movements of conservative and reform Judaism have deferred to today. So it was a bit of a mixture of both. And uh, it was Venice. So you can imagine very kumbaya, very crunchy and deep feeling and stuff. And that was kind of cool, but it, I didn't want to be in a circle rocking together with a bunch of people. Like that's, I felt like the whole singing and the whole guitar thing. I was like in church to me. It felt like too much like church. And that was fine for these people and that's what they needed and that's good for them. But it wasn't what I needed because that's what I already had lived. I wanted what I experienced in Venezuela that connection, that's what I wanted. And it wasn't until Chabad came along on campus that I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is that synagogue in Venezuela. That's it. That's what they did. So that's kind of how it all started through Chabad. And then Sammy had a friend who was converting to Judaism too. And she was doing through an Orthodox conversion. So I, I talked to her and she put me in touch with her rabbi. And that's how it all started. So just going back to the relationship for a minute, when you're telling Sammy, look, this is the journey that I'm on. You're either with me or not. And he's saying, well, I'm not going to do these things. Are you thinking, therefore, the relationship is not going to work or we can kind of both be on our own journeys, but the relationship could be strong anyway? I think the latter. I, I honestly, what I was very naive at the time. I didn't know anything. And I'm like, I was an open book. So I took him to my rabbi, who was the head of my conversion. And uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm dating someone. And he's like, wait a minute. What do you mean? You're supposed to be dating. I'm like, don't worry. He's a Jew. He's like, I want to talk to him. So I brought Sammy to talk to this rabbi. And the rabbi's like, okay, can you wait for us outside? And I'm like, sure. And I could hear from the, what are you doing? She's not Jewish. Why are you dating her? Blah, blah, blah. Gave him such a hard time. So Sammy came out of the room and he's like, well, and I was like, listen, I heard everything. <laughs> I want you to understand this is extremely important for me. So the rabbi told him, the only way you can be around her is if you go conversion classes with her. And Sammy was so offended. Just because I'm dark, just because I'm Persian, I am still Jewish, you know? Like I do Kiddush and I do Hamotzi. And the rabbi's like, you have no idea, son. You have no clue. There is a lot more to, ki to being a Jew than Kiddush and Hamotzi. And Sammy was adamant. And, he's, and I said to him, listen, this is so important for me. If you want, I needed a ride to classes, to be honest with you. It's like, <laughs> if you want to be with me, you have to come to classes. If you don't, it was so nice meeting you. You're a really great person, but this is what I need to do with my life. You're in it or you're out. And fortunately, because I really needed a ride to the classes, he said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll go. I'll take you to classes. I'm like, yes, thank God. So he started coming to class, to conversion class with me. 
in Pico Robertson in that area. And it was amazing because he loved it, which is good. It was good for me that he loved it so much, except that I was ready to take everything up on myself. And he was like, oh, this is a really great history class, or this is a really great, really fun thing to learn about, but I'm never going to put this into practice. In the meantime, I'm like, okay, kosher. I'm keeping kosher. Okay, sniut. I'm keeping sniut. Okay, shomeregia. I'm keeping shomeregia. And he's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) So basically that's kind of like, so we started kind of, I finding myself more and more interested in becoming you know, a more observant Jew. And he was like more drifting away from like, this is really cool, but not for me. Given where you're at now, there must be a point in these discussions where you do kind of come together about, you know what, this is where we can land as a couple. And if we're going to get to a point of getting married and raising a family together, this is the level of observance we're going to land at. So he actually gone to business school in New York. So he moved from LA to New York. So we've separated for about eight months, which is very good because we needed to kind of like press a reset button and see where we were at. And I became more and more and more religious in Westwood. I started going to the Westwood Kehila and I started mm-hmm. completely Shomer Shabbat, Shomer everything. And he went to New York and he did his own, his own life in New York. And uh, in New York, he went to Ohab Zedek, started going to synagogue there, and he found his own way, which I think is so important because I feel that everybody has to do that for themselves. Like, I would never ask anyone to become religious for me. Just like no one should be to be converted to Judaism for anybody else, for marriage or for whatever it is, because this is such a personal journey. And I was so happy that he was finding himself. What happened is that, and this happens to a lot of guys i find that especially in the persian community a lot of people or at least he thought that being religious meant being uneducated poor suffering Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until he moved to new york and he saw that the upper west side was filled with very very successful young men who were also shomer shabbat that he could see himself being one of them and that he could see what an amazing life it could be to have more spirituality in it. So when I decided to go to New York, I was like, okay, fine, well, I'll go to New York. And then, you know, and then we started going to synagogue. And then we met, we met the rabbi that ultimately did my conversion in Ohab Zedek. And, and that's it. Sammy's mother gets involved at some point in this story as you're thinking about getting married. And, and this maybe has a connection to your love for cooking. Yeah, for sure. So his mom was like, oh my gosh, I'm taking advantage of this girl is going to New York. <laughs> Mind you, I wasn't her favorite person in the whole world. I was taking her son, you know what I mean? And I totally understand. Right. And I wasn't really a Jew yet. So she was like, what do I do? Do I open my arms? Do I not? But she's like, hey, I don't have to fed expression food, which I'm telling you, there is an underground operation called <laughs> fed expression food to your son whatever he is by Persian mothers out there. So she saw this opportunity. I'll teach her how to make his favorite food. And then I don't have to worry about that. So I'm like, okay, I'll learn because I love Persian food for me. (laughs) I'll cook for him too if he wants to come over and eat. So I learned a lot of recipes along with some recipes that I took from some some of my Persian friends. And I created a cookbook. So you have these beautiful cooking lessons with Sammy's mom. The relationship is getting... Serious enough that you're talking about marriage, so take us inside the chuppah. 
So I think that marriage was a word that terrified my husband. I think a lot of men have that allergy re- allergic reaction when a woman says <laughs> marriage. You know what I'm talking about? And that was the same case for him. But fortunately, I told him, listen, I'm ready to get married. Like, again, I was a from girl ready to get married. Even though I was 20, everyone around me was getting married. And I'm like, it's my turn, you know? Like, if you don't want to get married, there are plenty of guys in the Upper West Side. Like, I, <laughs> I have that, options. I think that everyone won't mind having me, you know, cook for them Persian food, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay, fine. So he put his act together and decided, okay, fine, let's let's do it. Let's get married. And, and it happened. And we had a beautiful Persian chupa, which I understood zero. It was Rabbi Balanis. Um, it was very important for us to have the chief rabbi of Shiraz marry us because a lot of people at the time didn't understand how it is that he was marrying someone who wasn't Persian and Jewish in their in their eyes. So I was like, well, I am Jewish. And a lot of people didn't believe it until the chief rabbi of Shiraz, which is the city where my husband is from, decided to do our wedding. And that's why I didn't understand a word because it was all in Farsi, uh, except <laughs> the ketubah was in Aramaic, but everything else was Farsi. So I'm like, okay, la, 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 la. But at the, at the end, I, I understand that I'm, I'm married. Okay, I was like, oh, yeah, I have my finger. Like then, and then there was a breaking of the glass. So I'm like, eh, mazel tov. And then Persians do that. Okay, my family were terrified because I didn't prepare them for that. Jeff, after the, right. the breaking of the glass, everyone in the room was started going, my, father's, my parents are like, oh my God, what's happening? What's, what's this? Happening? I'm like, calm down. It's just happiness. It's just happiness. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah, we got married. And then at that time, we we're already Shomer Shabbat and Shomer Mitzvot. And that was very special to start our little bayit, you know, in Boston. We moved to Boston and that's how we started our life here. Tell us a little bit about the book. So this cookbook, it's really my experience with, with Persian culture. There's a lot more in there than just food. There is culture, there is relationships with in-laws and all the things about what it is like to be in the world of Persians with not being a Persian. Plus amazing recipes that I took from real Persian cooks and I made them into like something that you and I can make, Jeff. You and I can make this food, (laughs) no issue, no problem. And the cookbook was published um, by Feltime and it was just amazing, an amazing journey. It's been super successful because it's like the only kosher Persian cookbook out there that's at this caliber. That's great. And you mentioned uh, the conversion process. So I know that about, I guess, 10 years ago, you and your husband, Sammy, made a video, which is still available on YouTube. That's called Stuff Jews Say to Converts. Let's hear a quick clip from that. Did you have any idols in your home? My love, you don't know anything about brachot. I'm going to teach you, okay? Get ready. Baruch. Baruch, no Baruch. 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 Ah, you're a convert. I'm Syrian. We don't marry converts. Sorry. So that is that is funny stuff, but I'm guessing there were some uh, deeper meaning to the bits that are in there. So tell me a little bit about that video. Oh my gosh, we interview so many people who are converts to Judaism, and so many of them had the funniest things to say about the things that they were they have been told. Uh, by other people, by Jews, what it's like to be a convert. And yeah, those are all accurate. Those are all real. <laughs> those are all real nuances, <laughs> for sure. I actually just finished writing a memoir. It's called The Little Voice, where I give a lot more 
explanation of the story of my family and exactly where they came from and family trees and all that stuff. Super, super interesting, I find. All those things that my family did that even somebody could be listening to these and be like, oh, my family did that too. And then you realize you actually have Jewish family. That memoir that I wrote, hopefully gonna be, you know, it's going to be published soon. It's called The Little Voice. Also is what actually led me to go to Spain and also ask for my Spanish citizenship to that I am, you know, a conversant Jew. So today you're in Brookline and you have five kids advancing the story. So what do you tell them about your journey, where you came from and how you're choosing to raise them? So they all have read my memoir and they all feel mm-hmm. super proud. I have raised my kids to always feel very proud that their mother is a convert, especially because of where I'm coming from in terms of my conversion journey, which is trying to rescue what the Inquisition tried to do with my family. I feel extremely, extremely proud and grateful that I'm able to raise my children Jewish and I'm able to send them to yeshiva and have my husband be I learn you know he obviously he's he has a job but he also learns Torah every day I just sent my my one of my children to Israel to yeshiva there to learn and I'm just so happy that I can do that I can't even tell you like I know I know I'm making my ancestors extremely proud so even though all those comments that you saw in that video, <laughs> uh, there are, I think, like 26 instances in the Torah where it says that one should really respect and look up to a convert because we go through a lot. Converts are all alone out there, truly. It took me three years to convert to Judaism. It was, mm. It's a long time, Jeff. So do you find when you're touring for your books, or I guess if you end up touring with your memoir, that people are coming up to you afterwards? Yes, they're asking you cooking questions, but they're also inspired by your personal story, and they're going through something similar and looking for advice from you about the journey you went through? So many, many people are looking to become more religious, more connected. I would say, instead of saying more religious, I would say more spiritual connected. More than any other time in the world, today we need connection. We have to focus on doing chesed. We have to focus on doing acts of kindness. That is the every single day. That's the only way to really start disconnecting from all this obsession of our bodies and our, our, our looks and all that stuff and really truly understanding that ultimately we are beings of light and that's how we get older. We get older because we're starting to disconnect from being all obsessed with our bodies and more into being a soul. That's a a beautiful perspective to end on. I want to close by doing what we like to call our lightning round. And I'm going to ask you five super fast questions. Don't think too much. Just give me the first thing that pops in your head, okay? All right, let's do it. Are you ready? First question. What surprises people most when they try Persian cooking for the first time? How good rose water can actually taste instead of (laughs) tasting like perfume. It's actually quite unique and delicious. And what is a recipe that people think is really hard to make, but is actually surprisingly easy? Baklava. Everyone's scared of baklava. It's so easy. Super easy to make. And as someone who has lived both in New York City and now in Massachusetts, are you a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan? Oh, you're killing me. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm a Red Sox fan. (laughs) The truth comes out. Okay, last question. ¿Cuál es tu lugar favorito para visitar en Israel? Do you want me to answer in Spanish or in English? You can do both. Okay, so definitivamente me encanta ir a Masada. Uh, me encanta ir al norte. Me encanta ir a, a Tel Aviv. 
encanta ir a Elat, encanta todo. I love, I love going to Masada. <laughs> Masada is a very special place. I love going to Dead Sea. I love, I love going to the north, way up north to the Golan Heights. I love going to Elat. It's beautiful down there. Mm-hmm. I just love Eretz Israel. Raina, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Saturday to Shabbos and sharing your own inspiring Jewish journey. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.